Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and good morning and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Market Rundown. It's Wednesday morning, so Sean Hackett's here with us. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Really good, Mr. Casey. Having a good morning so far. Well, that's good, man. That's good to hear. So let's jump into a few things here. So last week finished with a uh, with a pretty good pretty good tear on the market. We had a uh, um, an overall um, positive week. You know, it started out positive. It ended positive. Um, it started out significantly stronger than it than it, or it finished significantly stronger than it started, which is a, a pretty positive sign. We had some good some good uh, information come from you know out at the China trade talk stuff, and uh, had just a f- some other just very supportive things happen last week. On the flip side, this week has just been one of those weeks where we just can't catch a break. It starts out strong, and by the end of the day, it's lost everything it's gained. So, what's going on this week, and what's driving the markets to do what they're doing? Well, I think we continue to play the carrot game with the China trade. Uh, the meeting with uh, the president uh, and uh, China was supposed to be in March. Then it was supposed to be in April. Now they're saying June. You know, and they keep they, they keep kicking the can down the road, and, and, and it's continuing to bring concern. Will, will this trade deal ever actually happen? And so I think that might have t- taken the markets down a little bit. On top of it, we you know, the African swine fever really caught the, um, the attention of everyone and, and, and brings in further concerns of if it's that bad in China, then how bad is their food demand going to be over the next six months and, and what are the ramifications for soybean meal and corn demand and, 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 and that brings additional concerns. And then, and then lastly, all this disruption with the spring weather, we're having all kinds of rail problems. Getting th- uh, getting rain out west, we're having problems getting things down the river, and there's a concern that maybe we're going to get backed up with not being able to move product out of the Midwest for a little while, and and that you know might have bring some concerns of um, of you know widening bases, and just just some some bottlenecks. So I think when you put all those three things together, it just brought the market a reason to take some markets back down again after, as you said, a better week last week. So the African swine thing that that is getting to be a uh, that's a bigger and bigger deal. It's an ever evolving deal. About the time that you think you have things figured out there, and they've kind of got a, a pretty what they think is a is a hold on it. Um, you know, a new story comes out of China. Of, you know, they found it in another larger operation somewhere and had to kill off a hundred thousand head or something like that. Um, there, there's just got to be. I mean, right now, if the numbers are correct, it's something like twenty percent of their herd they've had to. They've had the coal, so that would be more hogs than we produce in the U.S. Um, to to fill that to replace that out. So there, there is a large amount of of pressure on that market just just from the sheer fact of just there's not as many animals to feed anymore. So talk about that kind of just how that's affecting the hog market and how do you see that the overarching kind of theme there for the for the next you know two to three months. Well, I mean. 
it's hard to imagine the magnitude. I and mean, when you heard 20% down in their hog herd, as large as their hog herd, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, I mean, we actually got these numbers a month ago and the market didn't react because I just think they're so large that it's, it's hard to get around what it means. And then finally, we saw that the Chinese bought a lot of U.S. pork for the first time in a while, and it was half our exports, and it, it sounds like that they're pushed, and we saw prices in China start to really spike, saying that the liquidation pressure is over, and, and, and we're ready, to, we're, we're entering the period of the supply vacuum. So there's really no way that this is going to be resolved until the Chinese are able to rebuild their herd um, and, and from everything that we see in terms of how the small operator is going out of business and how the big guy is picking up the slack, there really is no way for the Chinese to start showing year-over-year gains in their hog herd and hog production until probably the first of 2020. And even then, you know, it's going to take a while. So um, overall, I mean, we just think that the hog market in the U.S. is going to need to continue to price itself higher um, until it reaches some, you know, maximum representation of what that means. Um, the biggest risk, though, and uh, something that you know one has to be mindful of is if we were ever to find African swine fever here, like you know, there, there was this report that a million pounds of pork was detained in New Jersey for ideas that uh, they might have it. I mean, if, if we ever had it here. It would be a limit down, limit down, limit down, limit down market. Uh, and, and, and who's to say if that, you know, we hope that doesn't happen, but you have to understand that there's huge risk in the, in the, in the hog industry for both outcomes. The outcome is that we stay clean and they buy everything that they can, or we're not clean. And nobody wants our stuff. Right. So really, really tough market to um, position for because both scenarios are very, you know, very possible, very likely. And one, I would say, if I was a hog producer, given the near-death experience they had a year ago, when they were all looking like they may go out of business, I would certainly make sure I sold enough uh, pork going forward and hogs going forward, and lock in my feed that I can make it through any surprise downturn should African swine fever find itself on our shores. So I think, from a risk management perspective, as a hog producer. Make sure you make enough sales and lock enough feed that it doesn't matter if we find it or not. And if the market keeps on going, we'll retest the 2014 highs because we stay clean, then they're going to make a tremendous amount of money. But I don't think they should be going and betting their entire operation that this is going to continue because there are risks here to the downside. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's my one of my biggest things that I worry about with this the hog you know, the hog market is one of those things that is just it gets kicked around a lot, you know, and it has a hard time. It's either feast or famine. It seems like um, with that with that whole market. So when you start talking about potentially throwing in the African swine fever into the mix, on top when they have a great opportunity to to really supply one of the world's largest uh, largest consumers of pork in China, you know, I mean that's that's got to be. It's just one of those times they could catch a break here and really really make some things happen for them on their on their operations so I, ho- I hope nothing happens like that but it is a it is a fear of mine as well absolutely and, and thing you have to remember is that that you can say all you want that the african swine fever does not impact humans it's okay to eat but you know humans being what we are um there's x amount of chinese who are going to say i'm not going to eat or 
be my family infected pork and I'm going to permanently shift my demand habits towards chicken, towards beef, toward, towards fish. And so there's a, there's a certain degree of permanent demand destruction that will never come back in China. And we have to keep that in mind. Um, and if, if it were to spread to other Asian countries, you know, we have to be mindful that there is a, there is a long-term negative demand destruction factor here that, um, that can't be denied. And, and, and also demand ascension here for alternative clean meat proteins like chicken, beef, and fish. And so that overall long-term balance would tend to be for more caution in the hog market longer term and, and for more um, bullishness or more positiveness to the alternative meats so long as they stay out of any disease problems. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, there's a, that's just, there's a, a lot of things to worry about there, a lot of moving parts. So, Okay, so the other thing that I want to talk to you about, we're, we're moving into that time frame now where we're looking at planting, and planting season is obviously going to be delayed by just, just weather events and, and things that are happening in the Missouri River Valley, which then will affect the Mississippi River Valley and so on and so forth, all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. But, um, you know, we're, we're looking at, at fuel costs and, and, and how that's going to start affecting things. So talk about some of the outside markets here for a little bit. What, what's oil been doing for over the last uh, week or so and, and where do you see that headed because that's got to be that's been a pretty volatile market over the last couple months as well which market oil yeah well you know the crude oil market's always such a, a geopolitical uh, animal um, you know we, we have uh, the Middle East trying to constrain production we have the Venezuela crisis which is keeping production off the market at the same time we're producing record amounts of, of oil um and, and so, you know, that market uh, overall has continued to be supported um, by the ideas of constrained supply and, and fears that those supplies could get uh, could remain constrained. Um, it, but, 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 but keep in mind that in the end, it's all about money. And the Middle Eastern uh, regions at some point always you know, need to make sure they bring in enough money to do what they do, which is to keep their people happy and to keep themselves happy. And it's hard for me to imagine that they're going to remain constrained on production for too long, especially if we start pushing crude oil prices, let's say, into the 60s. I would think that they would reopen those spigots again and, and bring the money home. And so I think there's a natural governor on the crude oil market that is there um, whenever the Middle Eastern countries want to monetize. Mm-hmm. It might not be there yet, but I think we could be getting there pretty, pretty quickly. And then the other thing is they don't want to ever they don't want to keep prices so high that we continue to produce and continue to take their market away from them. So it's a delicate balance that they're involved in, right. but probably is a little more upside before you know that may uh, it may tip the scales back the other way again. Right. <clears throat> okay, so the cattle market is is the other one out there that that's gotten a lot of pressure here over the last uh, month or so, surely having to do with weather events. Um, you know, cost to gain and, and just overall just horrible, just, you know, areas of, uh, of, you know, whether it be a blizzard here out where we're at through North South Dakota, Western Nebraska, Eastern Colorado, down in Texas, I mean, all that stuff just got, got devastated. And then um, basically the central part of the U.S. Uh, where cattle production happens, they just had a horrible winter period from start to finish. So, um, look at the cattle market right now and tell me what you see happening there and, and where do you see that headed? Well, we've been bullish for, for months in the cattle market. We continue to be bullish. It's our favorite, it's one of our favorite long-term markets because they win 
no matter how we look at it. They win if African swine fever continues to proliferate greater demand uh, for replacement away from pork. We win if African swine fever is found in our country because people in this country would switch to more beef, more chicken. Um, we know that the Chinese have been growing their imports of beef by 20% and that that's likely to accelerate 30 to 35% this upcoming year. There's nowhere in the world that we see any ability to grow production markedly. We know Chinese production for beef is going to be down. Australia, one of the worst droughts in their history, has caused, caused this forced liquidation event uh, over the last year, but that's about over. And people have to remember that they're the largest exporter of beef to the Chinese. And if their supplies dry up, which they typically do post a drought, then all that supply needs to be found somewhere else, like the U.S., like Brazil. And, um, and remember, we also buy a lot of beef for ground beef uh, mixing from Australia. So, so the whole concept here of this Australian supply shrinking over the next 12 months, beyond the African swine fever switching over demand, is a really, really big change in the fundamental structure of the global market. And it's hard for us to foresee demand slowing down and with no production able to grow anywhere that we can see um, and with the U.S. having constrained production due to this winter, I mean, the calf crop's going to be way down in many, many areas. Uh, you know, we just continue to see that market looking like it needs to go a lot higher uh, to us. And, and it's been one of the few trending markets for the last six months. It's actually been trending higher steadily. It's been accelerating to the upside here over the last week. So we still think that market is you know, heading a lot higher and probably has the least amount of headwinds that we can see to play this entire situation with China and African swine fever and everything that we are uh, that we're looking at, you know? Yeah. All right. So now, now it's, it's a prediction time. You need to put on, get your crystal ball out, <clears throat> take a look, let's see what you got. But all right, man. So I, I, here's my, here's my opinion. So I'm looking out at the market right now and I'm seeing all the, the corn market and the soybean market. And I'm taking a look at all the things that are happening right now, whether it be weather, whether it be, um, you know, just delays that are coming out there. Um, there's been a lot of talk of prevent plant and those kind of things have all popped into thing. I feel like in with the China thing, if it ever finally does get taken care of, I feel like we could hit 450 corn this summer. Am I am I crazy? I don't think you're crazy at all. I mean, remember, uh, corn stocks have fallen three years in a row despite record crops in the U.S., because demand has been so strong, ethanol demand in China consuming corn, you know, our demand being strong for us, we have increased animal units. So the corn fundamentals have continued to get better and better and better. And if we have plantings of a million or two million acres below what was originally expected because of a poor planting season, which we think is very likely, and you run the numbers, you know, we're gonna work our ending stocks down. Our, our the work we've done just recently says we could work them down to between 1.35 billion bushels and 1.45 billion bushels with a trend line yield this upcoming season. Um, and, and that's with no weather problems. That's just, right. you know, pretty good crop. Um, and that takes your stocks to usage down in the U.S. to 9.2% historically. I mean, we're getting really, really tight. So in, in, that, in, in that sphere of further fundamental drop in corn stocks, even if we have a, a continued negative environment for commodities and the dollar stays strong, 450 corn seems very realistic to us. And if we got anything bullish at all, a weaker dollar, a trade deal, 
something, you know, getting people a little more excited about commodities overall and add commodities, you know, 450 may not be where it stops this time, but certainly 450 would be a reasonable, logical target given what we see right now, especially with the planting season being very problematic. All right. Okay. Well, good. Then I'm not crazy. I like the way that sounds. <laughs> All right. All right. So last week you put out a smart money report and good information in there as usual. Talk about what you see happening right there and just kind of give a, a synopsis of what of what you see happening based on your smart money report. We have the first uh, smart money buy signal in the entire grains complex since January of 2018. That means is the insiders. Soybeans, corn, wheat, you know, that know more about the market than anybody else collectively um, are very, very bullish to grain markets at this time. It's been, like I said, it's been since January of 18 that when we had that important low and that big rally into the spring of 18 since we had this kind of a collective buy signal for the group. Um, and so that says to us that we should be expecting and anticipating higher prices into the spring and summer. Now, now why they're buying, why are they this bullish? And we can speculate, could be a trade deal, could be spring planting, maybe it's something else we don't know. But they're, they're, but when we get a collective buy signal like this as a group over the last 40 years, I mean, it's just ironclad um, signal that you know, one should be positioning and expecting the group as a whole to do better. And so, so we're very optimistic. We're the most optimistic we've been in range for quite some time. And despite all the noise and the cross currents and the, the, the anxieties and the, the confusion, um, there is no confusion with the smart money. They're very clear about what they think is going to happen here. And they think prices are going to rally considerably into the spring and summer. And so that, to me, says producers out there you know, who have corn in the bin or who are looking to sell new crop corn or new crop soybeans or new crop wheat, you know, being a little patient here after a very difficult year, and buying your time a little bit for an opportunity to sell a better price, we think at this point makes sense. And if you happen to be someone who is forced into selling more corn or more soybeans that you really wanted to, you know, this might be a time to maybe do some protecting to the upside on some of those sales. We just we just think it's a very important time to to make sure you don't miss and, and you participate. What might be the first good rally we've had in over a year to get a margin after being underwater for quite some time. Yep. Well, good stuff as, as usual, Sean. And if folks want to reach out to you and, and ask questions or just pick your brain about some different stuff that's going on, how would they do that? Our website is the best at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Great information on there, downloads, special uh, white papers, contact information, and, and more things about our service to see what we do with our smart money and some of our weather work with solar cycles that we've talked about on this program before, you know, might be a benefit uh, to their hedging um, and to their, uh, into their operations. Yep. Yeah. If you get a chance to get those papers, guys, get them and take and read them. Cause I, I, I get them and he sends them to me and, and there there's information in there that I don't hear anywhere else other than inside that, inside that packet. So Sean, I uh, appreciate you being on the podcast and we'll talk to you again next week. Great, Mr. Casey. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. 
please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century.